Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 14 called A Prophecy About Lucifer. Isaiah 14 is where we are tonight. We've been looking at the day of the Lord, and we spent the last two Wednesday nights diving into the day of the Lord and looking at the near-far fulfillment that is painted for us in the book of Isaiah. So please turn there. And we will continue to see near-far prophecy. Let me explain that just so you have a good handle on that. Sometimes what happens in prophecy is that there will be a near fulfillment of that prophecy, sometimes in the lifetime or near the lifetime of that prophet, and then there will be a far fulfillment, and sometimes that far fulfillment can happen in the actual life and ministry of the Messiah, or it can have what we call a last days fulfillment. Sometimes we use that word eschatology. That simply just means the things of the last times. And so near fulfillment, far fulfillment, the ultimate far fulfillment will be in the return of Christ, the day of the Lord judgment, the rapture of the church, and then what we call the millennial reign of Christ, sometimes called the golden age by the Jews, where Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years and peace will be restored to the earth. We will have resurrection bodies at that point. Sin and the curse will be done away with and we will be living in the rest that the return of the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, brings to us. What you're going to see in Isaiah 14 is continued near-far fulfillment, and you're going to see it in the fall of a king. A human king is being talked about, specifically the king of Babylon, one who did terrible things in his day, one who was not merciful to people, one who used the sword and war and really had a reign of terror. I guess we can think of, in the last 100 years, Adolf Hitler as being this kind of individual who mercilessly killed thousands and millions of people. And what will happen to a person like that? Because the story that follows Adolf Hitler is that he committed suicide when he was about to be taken. And so, is that it? Does he have a moment of pain and then that's it? Is there no divine uh, recompense or vengeance for a man like that? Is he able to just escape at the last minute, take his life, and there'll be nothing? No, the Lord says we ought to take refuge in the fact that vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And in that context, if you read Romans 12, the Lord is encouraging us not to repay evil for evil or insult for insult, knowing that vengeance belongs to the Lord. The Lord's not saying that people won't get their just due if they don't repent, but he's saying that belongs to me, not to you. And especially individually, we have to be careful that we don't you know, take on this uh, complex, if you will, of we have to make everything right on this planet. We can't do that. We don't control it all. Sometimes it's within our power to make things right, and sometimes nations do that, and sometimes it happens militarily. But even when that happens, that's only a moment. If you look at um, what we were able to do with a, the known terrorist Osama bin Laden, well, yeah, he was taken out, but his earthly death really is nothing compared to what the Bible will paint here, which is an eternal uh, situation away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. So if it's just, you know, I know this is not an easy thing to say, but if it's just a physical death, 
I mean, that would be relatively nothing compared to what we're going to see here. And we're going to really see in near far fulfillment also what many scholars believe is the fall of Lucifer in Isaiah 14. So we're going to need all the help we can get. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we want to thank you for your word. It is truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify means set apart. Make them more holy by your truth. And Lord, every time we come before the truth, as Chris prayed, we know it does not come back void. It will accomplish the purpose for which you intended it. And your purpose is to nourish, build up your saints, to make them wise unto salvation, and to make them more usable vessels and conformed more into the image of Jesus. And so we know your word does do that. So help us to be ready to receive it. Help us to have open hearts and souls so that you can mold us and shape us into what you want us to be because what you want us to be is the best thing we can be. So we ask your blessing and direction in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 14. So we see when the Lord will have compassion, and that word can mean mercy there, one writer said, compassion is the highly charged devotion of a mother. If you want to know what compassion's about, think of a mother, a mother having compassion on her children. You know, when us dads, when our kid scrapes his arm, we say, just rub some dirt on it. But mom doesn't do that, right? She gently brings the child, you know, in close and takes care of them. And they don't come to dads typically for compassion. Shake it off is what we usually say. But the Lord will have compassion on Jacob. I was talking to a couple earlier today, talking about how in the beginning when God said he would make mankind in his image, he said in the image of God he made them male and female, he made them. Now what we have as human beings is the incommunicable, or excuse me, the communicable attributes of God, not the incommunicable ones. What does that mean, Pastor Michael? That, that's big language. It means that what God can communicate to us, we can reflect in the nature of humanity. So men and women have the communicable attributes of God. We can be loving, we can be people of truth, we can be people of integrity, conscience, all those things. There are incommunicable attributes of God that he doesn't communicate to us or pass along to us, which are his omniscience, his omnipresence, his immutability, he doesn't change, etc., etc. But in a marriage, what happens is a man brings uh, the nature that God's given to him, those characteristics of a man, and there, we can talk about strength and mono-mindedness, single-mindedness, which can be good in certain contexts of war and work and stuff like that. And then we look at the femininity of a woman. We look at her compassion. We look at her discernment. We look at her uh, uh, gifts of emotion and uh, communication and all that depth. And when, when a couple gets married, what happens is the communicable attributes of God that he passes along to us in our human nature are best seen in a married couple because the woman brings aspects of God's nature And a man brings aspects of God's nature. And when we come together as one, God is better seen. And we know that our marriage is a picture of what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And a picture of the the Father and of Jesus and the submission of the church to Christ and the loving sacrifice that Christ made for the church. And so you can see that even in our marriages, 
One of us may be able to do one thing well, another one can minister in a different way, but there's a beautiful symmetry that comes together as a married couple. And God can use a married couple in different ways to minister to people in different aspects. That's why I believe it's important that we understand that our families need to stay together because our kids need both parents. They need to see the, the strengths and the certain wiring that God has given to a man and the strengths and wiring that he has given to a woman. And in that, we find the divine design of family and God using those familial uh, pictures and family units to communicate who he is to the world. He says, I'm a father. Like a mother has compassion on our children, so the Lord has compassion on us, and so forth. So you can see how that picture is really painted in its fullness in marriage. And of course, when marriage is done uh, the right way, it's best seen. And so the Lord will have compassion or mercy on Jacob, that's Israel. And again, if you have a New King James, it says, will still choose Israel. If you have a New American Standard, it says, will again choose Israel and settle them in their own land. And then strangers will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob. Whenever you see Jacob, many times that's going to be a synonym for Israel because Jacob was renamed to Israel. He had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? So when you see Jacob in your Old Testament mentioned in this way, the house of Jacob, or God will be uh, compassionate again to Jacob, we're talking about the nation now. We're talking about the nation that really came from the loins of Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then his 12 sons. And then by virtue of those 12 sons came the Messiah. So that's why there's been so much persecution against the Jews, because from that line comes the Messiah. And that's why I think they've suffered what they've suffered, because I believe the enemy has known all along and, of course, has been against them. And so notice God will again choose Israel or will still choose Israel. And I would just say to you, those of you who study theology, so much for replacement theology. Replacement theology says that the church has replaced Israel and that God in the end times will not again work in national Israel. When you study these passages, you'll see that scholars do see a near-far fulfillment, how I started, and I'll go back and just take my time to explain it to you. What I mean to say is this. If there's a far fulfillment to what Isaiah is saying, that the Jews will return to their own land, that God will again choose Israel, look at the middle of verse one, and settle them in their own land, and we saw that fulfilled in 1948, people. That's just 63 years ago that Israel for over two, well, just about 2,000 years was not in the land from AD 70 till 1948, returned to the land in some of our lifetimes. In 1967, they recaptured Jerusalem, the place for the temple and, and so forth. So God, it says, and there are many good scholars who believe this points to the last days as well, that God will again settle them in their own land. You can cross-reference verses that we've looked at earlier, Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. You can look at Isaiah 11, 10 through 12, mentioning Zion and the millennial kingdom being a, um, centered there in Jerusalem and Israel. Strangers will join and they will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. So this is last day's fulfillment. The holy people of God. God chose Israel. The question is, why did he choose Israel? Why would he choose this specific 
people group, and for that matter, extending it to the church. Why did he choose us? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Join Pastor Michael Lance for the first free Apologetic 633 event of the year. We have a special guest, Scott Klusendorf, who is coming to deal with the issue of the sanctity of life and give us good, strong arguments for the pro-life position and just the important topic of human life that we're made in the image of God. Learn how to persuasively and lovingly defend your views in the public square. And he will do this from Scripture, but also just outside the Bible, just using logical and even scientific arguments. Interact with the 633 event in his image, A Case for Life, in a post-Roe v. Wade world with guest Scott Klusendorf on January 23rd at 6.33 p.m. Pacific Time. You're welcome to come to the free event in Southern California, but if you can't, it will be live-streamed on the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel, and you'll be able to interact with questions from there. That's the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel, which you can find on walkintruth.com. God bless you. Hey, keep the event in prayer, and hopefully we'll see you right here. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Replacement theology says that the church has replaced Israel and that God in the end times will not again work in national Israel. When you study these passages, you'll see that scholars do see a near-far fulfillment, how I started, and I'll go back and just take my time to explain it to you. What I mean to say is this, if there's a far fulfillment to what Isaiah is saying, that the Jews will return to their own land, that God will again choose Israel, look at the middle of verse one, and settle them in their own land, and we saw that fulfilled in 1948, people, that's just 63 years ago, that Israel for over two, well, just about 2,000 years was not in the land from AD 70 till 1948, returned to the land in some of our lifetimes. In 1967, they recaptured Jerusalem, the place for the temple and and so forth. So God, it says, and there are many good scholars who believe this points to the last days as well, that God will again settle them in their own land. You can cross-reference verses that we've looked at earlier, Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. You can look at Isaiah 11, 10 through 12, mentioning Zion and the millennial kingdom being a... um, centered there in Jerusalem and Israel. Strangers will join and they will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. So this is last day's fulfillment. The holy people of God, God chose Israel. The question is, why did he choose Israel? Why would he choose this specific people group? And for that matter, extending it to the church, why did he choose us? Here's what Deuteronomy 7, 6 says. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love, Deuteronomy 7, 7, on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other of the the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, 
The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the, uh, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The reason that the Lord chose you is because he loved you. No other explanation is given. Not because you were the mightiest of all people, not because you were the most in number or the most powerful. God chose you because, get this, he decided to love you. Now, sometimes I have days when I look in the mirror and I say, Lord, are you sure? (laughs) Do you ever have those days? Maybe you even doubt that the Lord loves you. Do you really love me, Lord? And the cool thing is that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us into his kingdom. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's why God did it, because he decided to love you. The world's love is conditional. The world will love you if you perform. You will have people in your life that you will meet over the years and their love will be totally conditional. Their love will be based upon whether or not you can scratch their back, perform for them, or do everything that they expect of you. And then the moment that you don't, don't produce, they won't love you anymore. That's the world's love. God's love, by contrast, is unconditional. God has decided to love you and he's made a promise to you. And one of the beautiful promises and most emphatic ones in the Bible is that God will never, ever leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. People will forsake you your whole life. Christians will disappoint you. You can have bad experiences with people all the time, but God will never fail you or forsake you, ever. He's put it on paper and he's put it in his holy word and Chris mentioned also that heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. And he says that he has elevated his word in one translation above his name. God will be true to his word. He will do what he has promised to do. Not one of the promises that God made for Israel failed because God is faithful. And the more you come to know Jesus Christ, and you may be noticing this in your own walk, the more faithful you become. You see, faithfulness for me was not a big word in my teen years and when I was around 20 years old. I showed up at places if it was good for me. I was faithful if there was something in it for me. But when you become a Christian and you start to live for eternal values, you don't do things because there's something in it for you. You do it for the glory of God and you do it for the benefit of others. You love others as God has loved you. Amen? And it's, it's got to be supernatural because I tell you what, it doesn't come natural to me. So I know God's done a supernatural work in my life because the only people I used to really talk to and hang out with were people who were like me, whether they were athletes or whatever. And anybody who didn't measure up, I made fun of, to be honest. I'm not proud of it, but that's what I did. Maybe because of some of my own insecurities or whatever. But when the Lord came into my life, one of the things that I started to see, and I think you all can resonate with this, is you start to see people through his eyes. And the more you can see your spouse, your friends, your brothers and sisters, your neighbors through God's eyes, the more patient you will become. Your siblings, yes, it's a good thing. 
God, does, God wants to do a good work. And Jesus said, you didn't choose me, John 15, 16, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And the ultimate fruit is what? Love. And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name or authority, he may give you. This is my command, that you love one another. That's the fruit. And so God is compassionate. And he is going to keep his promises to Israel, and he will keep them to you as well. And the peoples, verse 2, will take them along and bring them to their place. This is interesting language because we know that the nations really kind of voted when Israel returned to the land and there had to be meetings and that kind of thing. And the house of Israel, and this, remember there's near far, so this could be pointing in, on a sub-level, one level to the return from Babylonian captivity, that's the, the captivity under Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, but in a far sense, the ultimate return of the people of Israel in the last days. And we've seen that happen. So they will take them, bring them to their place, that's the land of Israel, and the house of Israel will possess them as an inheritance in the land of the Lord. God has said that he has placed his name in Jerusalem as male servants and female servants, and they will take their captors, this is ultimate role reversal here, captive, and will rule over their oppressors. Acts 3, 19 through 21 says these words. Repent, therefore, and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, Acts 3.20, that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. We know when that restoration takes place, Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. Psalm 2 tells us that he will rule with a rod of iron. We're told in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 that the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the uh, extent of his rule, there will be what? There will be no end. And so he will rule, and we will have a place in this millennial reign of Christ You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of this. So it seems that we will be active in the millennium. And by the way, I don't think we're going to be playing harps on clouds. Uh, I don't know if that would be heaven to me personally. You can only take so much of that. I think we're going to be active. Worship will definitely be a big part, and I love worship. But I think we're going to be doing very human things. Remember that the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband, and we will be in resurrected bodies in the millennium. You've been listening to A Prophecy About Lucifer, part one on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 14. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, the Living Truth app is a great way to stay up to date with what's going on here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. There's Bible studies, family events, and of course, worship services. If you're out of the area, the Living Truth app has a lot for you too, like watching and listening to Pastor Michael's latest teachings. You can download the Living Truth app from your app store. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. Now here's Pastor Michael. Well, as we deal more with Isaiah chapter 14, we see a behind-the-scenes look here at the one called Lucifer or Lightbearer, 
and we learn a little bit more as we piece scriptures together about the fall of the one called the devil in the Bible. And certainly the devil is real. Uh, Jesus said he was real. Uh, Jesus actually had a temptation directly from him. He was present in the garden, Genesis 3. Paul says he was in 2 Corinthians 11. And so even though this passage in Isaiah 14 might be debated among some, we do know that Lucifer or Satan is a fallen angel and uh, certainly is the tempter and all of those things we see in Scripture. So we're getting a little bit more insight into him and also how we battle. We do have a spiritual battle, and we need to know our enemy so that we can be more equipped uh, to fight the good fight of faith. On that topic, I've, I've written a book on spiritual warfare called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. I get into the topics of this enemy and temptation and how to battle it each and every day with what's been provided from our Father, which is the armor of God. We put it on and we take our stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 6, you can look at 10 through 12. The book, uh, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, look for Pastor Michael Lance with a TZ at the end. It's available on Amazon and uh, I know it will benefit you. If you'd like to contact our ministry, we'll get a copy into your hands as well. Uh, you can always reach out at walkintruth.com or you can reach out at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Well, we will get into part three of this prophecy tomorrow and we'll see you, Lord willing, right here. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Isaiah 14 called A Prophecy About Lucifer. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.